The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church Pulpit Series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. This is our second week in our new series entitled Spring Cleaning. And uh, it's a series where we've been looking at dealing with the clutter in our hearts that may be restricting God's love and His power and His work um, in some way in our lives. Uh, We began this journey um, by looking at John 15 when Dash kind of ended our last ministry year by considering how clutter can create blockages so that um, the life of Jesus, the life of the vine, will be restricted somehow in our hearts and in our lives. And last week we looked at how every part of us, our bodies, our minds, our emotions, uh, are somehow connected. That's the biblical worldview anyway. And how one area of our lives can have a radical effect on other areas of our life. So a physical uh, illness may affect us mentally and emotionally and an emotional situation or a spiritual condition may affect us physically uh, and mentally and emotionally as well. And we looked uh, last week at this idea of footholds and we came around Ephesians 4 and we considered Paul's teaching there how anger can be a foothold that allows the enemy access or room or opportunity, which is what that word means, to work and move in our lives. And we looked at how these spiritual realities uh, and these spiritual things can create areas of bondage in our heart that might show up in our relationships, in our finances financial situation, in our mental oppression or spiritual attack or physical conditions. Um, It might show up in lots of different ways, but the root cause may be spiritual. And we looked at how so often we tend to try and deal with the symptoms or the fruit of something. And we are frustrated because we never seem to get breakthrough. Um, And that's possibly because we're not identifying and dealing with some of the root issues uh, that might be operating in our lives. Some of these footholds that might be openings uh, and opportunities for the enemy to bring us into bondage in different ways. Um, If you weren't here with us last week and you're jumping in on this series, uh, just a couple of things that you need to be aware of. Um, We're going to create space at the end of each of these uh, messages for you to reflect, for you to be listening to the Holy Spirit and hearing what God might be saying to you about these different footholds. We're going to look at various ones over these next few weeks. And we want to give you space to really be discerning what the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on and wanting you to deal with. And so we're going to have a time of uh, reflection and prayer uh, at the end uh, and ministry time at the end if you would like that. And I encourage you to make the most of that. Uh, One of the other things that we've been saying uh, is the importance and the power of confession. Um, And if you're part of a connect group, we encourage you to use that space to talk about some of the things that God might help bring to the surface or identify in your heart and receive encouragement and prayer and ministry from one another. And if you're not part of a connect group, we encourage you to maybe find a uh, leader or a pastor in this church or a trusted godly friend that you can just catch up with and, and share some of these things because there's great power in confession as part of our healing. And James 5 talks about the importance of doing that. And so we encourage you to do that as well. And also at the end of our services, um, we'll be uh, 
praying prayers corporately uh, together, uh, according to Nehemiah chapter 9, where the people, when they were confronted by their sin, prayed prayers of confession and repentance together. And so we'll be doing that at our services as well. Um, And so if you weren't here last week, uh, yes, we did talk about footholds, but we ended with uh, looking at the Bartimaeus story, and we asked ourselves some questions. And we looked at this question that Jesus asks Bartimaeus, and he asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And we considered if Jesus was to walk into this church uh, and walk up to us and ask us, what is it that we want him to do for us? What would we say? What is our awareness of our greatest, most desperate need? What areas of bondage, what areas of um, struggle are we seeing right now that we would love Jesus to do something about? And I want us to be continually thinking about that question as we journey through this series. And one of the other things we talked about was Bartimaeus' desperation to get breakthrough, to get his sight. He knew exactly what he wanted from Jesus and he wouldn't let anyone stand in the way of that. He wouldn't let the crowds who were trying to keep him from Jesus stand in the way. In fact, the Bible tells us that he called out even more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we talked about having that kind of desperation as we bring our hearts before God and saying, God, I really want to be free of this. I really want breakthrough in this area of my life and to not let anyone or anything keep us from coming to Jesus and receiving that breakthrough. So with all that as way of introduction and background, let's jump into consider this week's foothold. And the first one I want to look at um, is the foothold of pride. The foothold of pride. And in my opinion, I think pride is probably one of the, if not the most difficult um, and serious footholds for us to consider. Uh, difficult in that the pride blinds us to its existence. We, we cannot see pride at work in our own hearts. In fact, you're probably uh, sitting here thinking, oh, wow, I wish you know, so-and-so was here to hear this message because this message is just for them. That's what pride does. It tricks us into thinking that we don't have a problem, not just with pride in itself, but with any other area or any other real sin. We look at ourselves and we think that we're pretty okay. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that makes pride such a difficult foothold to recognize in our own lives and one of the other things that makes pride so serious is that as we'll come around the bible we'll see that some of the uh, the language that's used about pride is is very very serious and very very challenging and confronting and so we would do well to really consider this foothold of pride in our own hearts and and lest we fall into the trap of deceiving ourselves into thinking that we don't have a problem with pride, I want to run you through some symptoms of how pride might show up in our lives. And I want to, these are not absolute and they're not complete and total, but these are some of the things that I came up with, mostly because I've seen these at work in my own heart and in my own life. And before we launch into them, I just want to say that just because these things exist in some measure in your own life doesn't necessarily mean that you have a problem with pride. It could mean that, and that's why I want you to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's like when you go to the doctor and you're complaining of having a headache. Um, It could be a simple problem of you not having drunk enough water that day or that week. Or it could be the extreme of you having a, a brain tumor that needs to be operated on immediately. And so like that, these symptoms, you know, in and of themselves don't indicate that you have a a stronghold of pride, but it might do. 
And so I want you to, as you listen, consider, open your heart and see what God says about some of these things in your own life. And some of them will be quite obvious and others are a bit more sneaky. And that's the the dangerous part about pride. So here we go. First, pride can show up in our lives as control. Uh, control. We, we want to control everything. We, we're control freaks. We, we want to manage and plan everything and everybody. And, and this comes out of a place of self-reliance. It comes out of a place of thinking that we're indispensable. It comes out of a place of um, thinking that without us, the world would fall apart and everything would unravel. It comes from a place where we think without us in the world, God would struggle to manage the world. Um, it can show up as overconfidence. It can show up as uh, thinking that we're indispensable. And it can show up as hyper busyness or uh, hyper planned. It can show up um, as fear and anxiety because we deep down inside have this unshakable sense that we are not really in control of everything and that our lives are just out of control, and, and it can show up in different ways. So that's the first one. Secondly, it can show up as independence. Now, this is related to control, but it's more focusing on the relational side of things. And this might show up as prayerlessness, where we, we, we don't even come to God and ask Him for help because we think that we can do it on our own. Uh, it can show up with not asking for help from other people because, again, we, we don't think that we need other people to, to contribute and be a part of our lives. Uh, it can show up as not being in community and wanting uh, and enjoying just being alone and, and doing our own thing. Uh, it can show up um, with this idea that uh, we don't really need anybody else to be, uh, to be happy. Uh, it can show up as uh, challenges with uh, intimacy, where we find it really hard to have intimate, close relationships with people, or in commitment issues, again, because we have this underlying uh, idea that we don't really need other people. Thirdly, it can show up uh, as uh, authority issues. And this is, uh, I guess, a more obvious one. Uh, And this shows up uh, in difficulty in submitting to those in authority. Uh, It can show up as stubbornness. It can show up as an unteachable attitude where we think we know everything. It can show up as a a tendency to break rules because we think we're above the rules. Uh, It can show up uh, as a difficulty in respecting boundaries that other people set for us. Uh, It can show up in in a... in a difficulty accepting no, we don't like hearing no from people. It can show up uh, in our struggle and our difficulty in being challenged or questioned or even corrected. So that's authority issues. Fourthly, superiority. And again, this is kind of obvious, uh, but it shows up in different ways. And it could turn up in your life uh, as a holier-than-thou than attitude where we tend to look down on people. Uh, we think of ourselves as better than everybody else. We tend to be judgmental or we can be critical of others, finding fault with them all the time. Uh, it can show up as intolerance, um, all the isms, sexism, racism, they all come from this place of thinking, I am better than you, I am better than everybody else. Uh, so pride can show up in our heart that way. Uh, fifthly, it can show up as a sense of entitlement or ingratitude. We think we deserve better, we deserve more than we have. Um, again, because we think that we're better than everybody else, and so we think everybody owes us 
and maybe even that God owes us because we're such good people and we do so much for God that we think that He now owes us. It can show up as complaining and grumbling when we don't get what we want. It can show up as pushiness and uh, being demanding or aggressive or rude because, that, again, we think that certain things are owed to us and are, are right and, and that we're entitled to those things. So it can make us act out in those ways. Another way that pride can show up in our life uh, is self-preoccupation, which is this focus on me. Uh, It's all about me, and I'm at the center of everything. It's all about my happiness and my comfort and my convenience. It might show up as attention-seeking, where we love being the center of attention, and we we don't like sharing the stage with anyone. It can show up uh, through boasting, where we think that, or we'd like to come across as being uh, our story being better than everyone else's, uh, and we need to have the best story and, uh, and, and the biggest fish, as it were. And you know, our fish is always bigger than everybody else's fish. And it can show up as a, as a constant need for praise and affirmation where it, it's all about me and I need the attention and I need to be affirmed and praised all the time. And again, those are some of the obvious ones, but this same idea of self-preoccupation can show up in a sneaky way of self-loathing where we feel unworthy of being loved. We have a victim mentality or a false humility where, um, again, we, we, kind of, we look like we're deflecting attention away from ourselves. We look like we're trying to make it all about somebody else. But in that self-loathing and in coming across as really being unworthy and undeserving, we really are making it about ourselves. And so we're still putting ourselves into the center of that picture. The last one I've called image management, and this is a preoccupation with how people perceive us. And so we're really, it might show up as a a real preoccupation with how we look on the outside. We spend a lot of time thinking about our image and and our dress and our appearance. It might show up as constantly needing the approval of other people. It might show up as people pleasing. Uh, It might show up um, as hypocrisy, where we're so preoccupied with what people think about us that there's a duplicity between what's really going on on the inside and how we want to project ourselves on the outside where we put on our Sunday happy smiley faces because we want to look good in front of everybody but inside we're really struggling and going through some really difficult things. Um, It might show up as saving face in many cultures. uh, uh, Shame and honor are so big that we, we, we want to do the right thing all the time to save face or it might show up as a lack of transparency where we don't let people in to see what's really going on. It might show up as an inability to say no because we're afraid that people might think less of us if we actually say no. So you can see that this idea of image management or people-pleasing can show up uh, in lots of different ways. And again, at the root of that is pride where we don't want um, people to think less of us. So now, having kind of said that, uh, I don't know how you went, but uh, I know that as I did that list, I could probably tick most of those things off my own uh, struggle with areas of pride. And, And I'm sure that many of us here would be able to identify with a lot of those things. So now that we've kind of identified this foothold, let's look at what the Bible has to say about it. And two passages that really help us connect this foothold as a spiritual uh, stronghold, if you like, are James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5. And they almost say identical things. And as we read through these, I want you to be listening out for some of these symptoms that we've already identified. So James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. This is what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. And that is why Scripture says, and here's the key verses, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter uses almost, uh, well, he uses the exact Old Testament reference, and he uses a lot of the same thoughts and ideas that James has already told us about. And so as we read 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, we're going to jump in at verse 5 and read through to verse 9, and this is what it says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. There's the authority issue. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, and here's that same verse, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Two things I want to point out to you from those two passages that are quite relevant to our discussion today. One is this idea that God is opposed to the proud. Both James and Peter talk about that. Now, keep in mind that they're both writing to Christian people. So pride clearly is an issue or a problem that Christian people, um, uh, followers of Jesus, are not immune from. And so he's saying here that God opposes the proud. What a powerful statement. And we see that true uh, throughout the, the Bible where the proud people are always set up against God. And God is always opposed to and against the proud. And the opposite is also true that the humble, the contrite, the broken in heart are the ones who seem to attract the attention of God and the grace of God and the favor of God and the blessing of God. The second thing, and this is what convinces me that pride is, is a powerful foothold, is that James and Peter both connect the ideas of pride and humility with spiritual warfare or resisting the devil. And both of them make mention that humility is, is the pathway to us resisting the enemy and in some way, some way to overcome his work in our life. And so I think pride is, is a powerful foothold that gives the enemy opportunity to be working in our lives. So as we think about pride in our own lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, I want us to go to another passage and I want us to consider how pride can show up in two main ways that sometimes seem very, very opposite. 
and uh, and it can show up in our lives um, in in two very distinct ways that that we can sometimes miss one of the ways particularly the other is a, a little bit more obvious but one of them is a little bit more tricky one writer says that pride gives birth to non-identical twins that though they come from the same womb of pride they can look very very different and the best way for us to see both of these ways kind of playing out and working out is through the parable that Jesus told of the lost son and that's found in Luke chapter 15 and we we're not going to read through this passage we just i just want to draw out some observations that will show us that really both of these sons are a lot more Uh, similar than we might have thought before because both of them are operating out of the same root of pride but they're behaving in two very very different ways so if you want to turn there uh, we can follow along as I make some of these observations the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus says that a, a man had two sons and that statement, I guess, has a lot more behind it. it. It conveys the idea that these two sons were meant to live in their father's house and be in relationship with their, with their father and delighting in the father and enjoying the father and enjoying all the good gifts of the father. That's how the story was meant to go. But we see very quickly that the story doesn't turn out that way. We're told already in verse 13 that the younger son runs from the, runs from the father. And I want to suggest to you that actually both sons reject the father but they just do it in very very different ways in verse 13 we're told that the younger son runs from the father he sets off for a distant country and that's kind of obvious but what's interesting is that the older son is also rejecting the father and we see that in verse 28 when he refuses to go in to the party to the celebration after the younger son has come back So they're both rejecting the father, but in two very different and opposite ways. One in running away, the other in staying with the father, but refusing to go in. The the second or the third observation I want to show you is that both sons are actually deep down inside trying to find the same thing. They're both trying to find satisfaction and delight and fullness of life. And the younger son thinks that he's going to find that in a distant country, as it says in verse 14, by spending everything he had, by spending everything he has to to satisfy every desire and every longing and every uh, sin and every decadent thing that he wants to do and this is the kind of rebellion that we're most familiar with where where people out there in the world who do these terrible sinful things to try and fill the emptiness within them but we're also told that the older son is really trying to do the same thing he's trying to also um, get the father's good gifts we're told in in this statement that he makes in in verse 29, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. He, he wants the good gifts of his father. And yet we're told that he, instead of spending everything, he's trying to earn the father's good gifts. And we're told in verse 29 that he says to the father, I've been slaving for you. That's trying to earn it. And he says, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Uh, from that word orders, we can see that his relationship with his father was more like a boss and an employee rather than a father and a son. He's trying to earn his father's good gifts. The next observation is that both of these sons end up in the same state. 
Both of them end up in the same state. The younger one, we're told in verse 15, he hires himself out to a citizen of that country. In desperation, when he spent everything and he's still hungry, he makes himself a slave in order to survive. And we're told the older brother, even though he's been living in his father's house, in verse 29, we're told that he's been living as a slave, even though he was a son. What's interesting, and this is one of the things that I've really come to see and appreciate in this story afresh as I prepared this story, is that both sons, both sons want to be accepted by the father the same way, on their terms. Notice that we're told in verses 18 and 19 that the younger son finally comes to his senses and he decides he's going to head home. And notice all the I statements that he makes in in these two verses. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Notice that the focus is very much on him. The focus is very much on what he is going to do and how he's going to make things right and how he's going to come back to the father. And notice, like the older son, what he's wanting to do is to earn his way back to the father's house to earn the right standing again and he he wants to make himself a hired servant he wants to make himself a slave in other words he wants to earn his way back and to set the terms on which he will be accepted by the father one of the things I love about this story is that the father goes out to both sons And that's the next observation that stands out for me. It says in verse 20 that the father runs out and he has compassion on the younger son. And then we're told in in verse 28 that he goes out to the older son and he pleads with him to come in. The, the, The compassion of the father to go out to both of his lost sons so that he can bring them both back in. And notice that when he he goes out to the younger son, he stops the younger son in mid-speech. And he says, in in effect, to the son, yes, you're welcome back. I want you back, but you've got to come back on my terms. And he stops him short. And he he talks about putting a robe on him and and restoring him into sonship and a ring and and killing the fatted calf. and, And all of that speaks of grace. And the father says, yes, you don't deserve it. Yes, you deserve to be a slave. But for you to come back into the into my house, you must come back as a son and it must be on my terms it must be on the basis of grace what a wonderful picture of what God in Christ does for us and we're told that the younger son is restored because he is willing to humble himself he's willing to realize that he can't do this and in that moment his pride dies and humility comes into his heart to receive the father's grace and he realizes that he can't save himself that he can't be his own God. He can't earn his way back into the Father's house. He must humble himself and receive it by grace. But sadly, the story ends with the older brother still outside, still unwilling to humble himself. He wants to keep keeping the rules, keep obeying, keep slaving to try and earn the Father's good gifts. And even though the Father goes out and pleads with him and invites him to come in, he chooses to still remain outside. And see, at its very heart, pride is making ourselves God. At its very heart, pride is about putting ourselves into the center and saying to God, God, we don't need you to save us. We can save ourselves. We can be our own saviors. And which is why 
to begin this journey is to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I cannot save myself. I need you to save me. And that's why Jesus says in, in the Beatitudes that it's the meek that will inherit the earth. It is those who recognize their spiritual poverty that will see the face of God. It is those who are willing to humble themselves like a little child that will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so my question to you is, whether you find yourself as the prodigal that ran away or the elder brother that's been slaving away, how will you respond today? We can keep running as the younger son, keep trying to feel our own emptiness, trying to be our own gods and trying to save ourselves by continuing in our sin and disobedience and, and rejecting the Father's love. And even when we realize how desperately we need it, we can come back to the Father and try to come back on our own terms and try and clean up our lives or fix ourselves or say, yeah, when, when I sort myself uh, self out a bit more, then I'll come back to God. All of that is our pride saying, I want to save myself and I I want to come to God on my terms. Or we can be like the older brother stuck in slavery, trying to slavishly keep all the rules, trying to do all the right things, trying to prove ourselves to God, trying to make ourselves righteous enough to earn the Father's love. And neither of those approaches will bring us into the Father's house. The only way is for us to trust in the Father's provision. It is to trust the true older brother, it is to trust in Jesus who did leave the Father's house, who emptied himself, who gave up everything he had to come looking for us and, and pursuing us and to find us in our pig pen of sin and rebellion and, and darkness and to give his life on a cross so that he might offer us the grace of the Father, free forgiveness, free love. But it is only through our elder brother, Jesus and the question is, will we accept it? Will we receive it that way? Will we humble ourselves and come before God, who so aware of our emptiness and our desperate need for Him? As we conclude, I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to think about how you're going to respond. And I want to encourage you that if you see evidence of the foothold of pride in your heart, for you to humble yourself and receive the Father's love and the Father's grace and come back into relationship with Him through the work of Jesus, our faithful elder brother. Let's take a moment to just bow our heads and close our eyes and listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I confess that I have sinned against you through my pride. I have run from and refused your grace. I have tried to save myself through my self-indulgence or self-righteousness. I repent of my sin and renounce every foothold that I have given the devil in this area of my life. Please forgive me and release me from any bondage that has come into my life through my pride. I humble myself before you and receive freely all that you have for me in Christ. I thank you that through him I am accepted, forgiven, restored and set free. I thank you that in Christ 
I am a new creation and can walk in humility and grace by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.